Now, as a new chapter of Van Halen lore unfolds, Mad Rock presents an exclusive conversation with Michael Anthony, Edward and Alex Van Halen, and the voice behind Van Halen 3, Gary Sharon. 5150 Studios in California, I'm here with Van Halen. Now, this is Van Halen 3, the third and final version, as you guys would say, and uh, I've been hearing great things, I mean, about how the band feels. About, you know, I mean, the minute you got here, Gary, there was an energy, there was a connection. The main thing I think we were all looking for was uh, another long-haired, blonde-haired hood ornament. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we tried another guy, and it could have worked, but not to, take, not to take anything away from the guy, it's just... Uh, I want somebody who... Mike, Alex, and I are just... Our life is making music. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hollywood, it's November, and we're basically at Thanksgiving. What are you giving thanks for, my friend? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, maybe not a lot of thanks today, but uh, I'm, I'm glad I got, you know, beautiful wife, healthy family. Everybody's doing good. I got good friends, so life is good. I'm giving thanks that I only went through Van Halen three, two to three times before I was able to uh, dial up a synopsis with this record. I'm ready to share my feelings to the world on Van Halen three. We are talking about the 11th studio album, the first one to feature new singer Gary Sharon, who replaced Sammy Hagar after the balance record. It is the first and only Van Halen album. Thank God. <laughs> to feature Gary Sharon. <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about it because I think you and I share the feeling that Gary is not necessarily the problem on this record, but we'll we'll get there. Don't 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 blow our load yet, my friend. You know, think about baseball, pull it back a little bit, dial it back a little bit. <laughs> we'll get there. You thought there was payola uh, involved in the three million that Balance sold, I'm telling you, out of this five hundred thousand, four hundred eighty nine thousand of them are sitting in Valerie's garage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Before we get to the basic facts about this album, as we've done with all the Van Halen episodes throughout this entire year, we brought along a special guest to help kind of bring Sonny and I back down to earth and maybe inject some different observations about this record that we can uh, talk about. So from the Pods and Sods podcast, our friend and the first time visitor to the Grown Up Rock podcast, Eric Miller. Eric, welcome, my friend. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Honor. I, I love what you guys do. You know, I met you guys at the first Rockin' Pod, I think. The first one, second one. And, uh, boy, I've been listening to your show since not every episode. I'm not going to lie. But I listen. And, you know, the thing I admire about you guys, I've said it to you on several occasions. You have a real natural chemistry with each other, right? You're, you know, 
you bust balls, but you're good friends. And, you know, it's just, it's a fun listen. Like you just, you know, there's some people you listen to and you just feel like they're instantly friends. And I felt that when I first met you guys and every time I listen to you guys, it's, 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 and it's a treat to join you here today. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Sonny and I, we're not friends. We hate each other, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Oh, man, I, love, I love when you keep asking about the rules on your uh, trivia kind of like, Sonny's like, you played this 20 times. You already know, you know the fucking rules, right? Now, <laughs> I, now I just ask about the rules to ask about them (laughs) (laughs) so good so yeah we're happy to have you because both sunny and i we've been on your podcast various different times for different reasons and um we're happy to have you here because this album that we're going to discuss today honestly i mean look when we went to do this series a lot of people chimed in. Of course, everybody wanted to take shots and do Van Halen one or fair warning or some of the Roth error ones. But of course, nobody wanted to touch Van Halen three with the 50 foot pole. Now <laughs> I have a different perspective about this. My perspective is, is because of this record and how polarizing it is with Van Halen fans. I actually think this record might invoke the most interesting conversation about the Van Halen catalog, because it's easy to go unchained and running with the devil are classics and uh, staples in rock radio. And, and it's amazing. It's easy to do stuff like that with Sonny on the Roth air stuff. He bought realism to the Roth air stuff because he doesn't love everything Roth did. And he was honest about that. Same thing for the Hagar stuff. I don't love everything that the Hagar era bought us, but I was honest about that as well. So I think this conversation is going to be good. Before we get too deep into this album review, how did Van Halen 3 come to you? How did you discover this album? Well, I mean, I was a Van Halen fan going back to when I really became a fan would have been 1984. You know, I was 12, 13, and that was it was targeted at me, right? Uh, you know, Panama and Hoffer teacher. I mean, I, I remember my teachers and so forth, right? That was just targeted at my 12 year or 13 year old mind. Um, but then it was 5150, you know, Sammy, I was all in, you know, I probably prefer Sammy era stuff because that's, that was what was fresh as I was actively listening. Right. I love all the David Lee Ross stuff, of course, but you know, Sammy is where I saw them live for the first time and we went to and so forth. Uh, Monsters of Rock, but and I also was a huge extreme fan. Sonny and I on Pods and Sods started an extreme series. One of my favorite bands of all time, legit. And you know, I love everything those guys do. So when Extreme dissolved and you find out Sam Hagar left Van Halen, then I hear Gary Sharon is going to be the singer of Van Halen. You start to hear those rumors, read it in Metal Edge or wherever you would hear it, right? So at MTV News, I was all in. You know, it was like one of those things. You know, I like David Lee Roth, Van Halen. I like Sammy Hagar, Van Halen, but I also like Van Halen. I like Alex, Eddie, and and Michael, right? So put in Gary in that mix. I'm like, great. It's just a slightly different recipe. Gary's going to bring a different set of talents. How could I not like it, right? I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit, but I always kind of frame this of, you know, if you're Gary Sharon and your band dissolves, and, you know, I, I think it was Steve Hoffman that made the connection, right? Steve Hoffman managed, he basically helped discover extreme. And then he was managing Van Halen at a point, I think on balance with Ray Daniels. And then, you know, eventually here, by the way, when you guys did balance, did you, did you know that? Is it, uh, I can't stop loving you when he says, Hey, Ray, what you say? Yeah. He's talking yeah. about Ray Daniels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Steve Hoffman, I think was a co-manager or whatever at that time. So, you know, you're Gary Schroen, your band is all, And Steve says, Hey man, 
let's try to meet you up with Eddie or whatever. Uh, you're Gary Sherman. You're going to say no to that. Who, who's going to say no to that? Right. Of course yeah. you're not going, you know, so, but that's me coming from a fan perspective with an open mind. You know, I also understand there's, I'll kind of give a, a metaphor or analogy. I've talked to Ken Mills, our friend, Ken Mills, uh, Zilch and so forth uh, about Batman a couple times. And you guys might get the reference here, but like, if you watch Batman 66, like the old stuff with Adam West and a boom pow, and it's like rated G and all that stuff. Right. You know, when you start to see like a darker Batman, grown up Batman, killing joke, dark night, like it's maybe not what you want to see. You want to see the boom pow stuff. Right. I think you can like it both. You know, the Paul Stanley, you can like steak and cheesecake. Right. I appreciate, you know, haven't you seen, have you seen Junior's grades lately? As much as I appreciate Gary Sharon using the word aforementioned twice in a song. Right. You know, and I say that particularly on growing up rock, right? Like you never get to a finish line growing up. Right. So I, I was in for the ride, man. Like I'm going to like what I liked about Vanna when I was 12. And there's a nostalgia to that when I was in high school with, uh, you know, when it's love, I feel that exactly as I felt it then. But as a, as an older guy, like I want to hear Eddie be creative and I want to hear what Gary can inspire in him and what they can collaborate on. So I was all in, that was a long answer, but you know, I was excited for it, bought a day of release. You know, I was probably convinced I was going to like it even before I heard it. Yeah. So two things on that. One is I thought when you said you mentioned aforementioned twice on the Grown Up Rock podcast, I figured that you did that just because neither Sonny nor I would understand that word or know what it meant, (laughs) which I'm a little bit offended (laughs) by. So uh, anyhow, I'll move on past that. The other thing is the other thing that I heard is that you're the exact opposite of what Sonny and I am in terms of a rock fan. So Sonny and I were just discussing this the other day. And we understand that the artist wants to grow and do different things and expand and all that stuff. A hundred percent get it. I got it. My problem is, is that as a fan, I got into an artist for a particular sound and I like that sound. I love that sound and I eat that sound every day and I don't get tired of that sound. I don't need that sound to change. Now you, the artist if you want to be an artist, I'm okay with that. Give me my pizza, my pepperoni pizza every day that I paid for 20 years ago when you started out and you didn't have a dime to your name and then go be an artist, but put a different name on it and then give me the opportunity to either accept that or or not accept it. Don't mix the two. I don't like to be mixed because it drives me nuts. So you're You've expanded as an artist, which I can appreciate, but in expanding as an artist, you've slowly but surely dissipated what I loved so much. So now I don't I don't have the Van Halen I love. I only have this new Van Halen. You understand what I'm what I'm driving at? Interesting. So who's who would be an artist that that didn't change throughout their career? Like is Easy Top or ACDC? ACDC. Yeah. yeah. Good example. Gotcha. Yeah. So so you guys hate Carnival of Souls, for instance, and music absolutely music. cannot yeah. stand it. <laughs> Not a big you fan. Love Psycho Circus. You love Psycho Circus? <laughs> eh, meh. I, I, there's some stuff I love on Psycho Circus. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, it's not. I don't know. It, I don't want it to change so much that it completely dissipates what I loved originally. And again, I'm not saying that the artist should never grow and just keep producing the same stuff over and over. I'm okay with them growing, but I just want them to call it something else and give me the opportunity to either like it or not like it. I don't want them to weave 
it in so much that it changes the band or the artist that I originally loved. Gotcha. Yeah. For me, it's feel, right? So I come to Van Halen for the party. I go to Disturbed for angry. I go to Richie Cotton acoustic to get mellow and, you know, maybe want to go jump off the next bridge, right? I go to Extreme to get the groove dance. If that's what I've labeled them as, they can have a song or two that gets out of that. But if it gets too far and the whole album goes there, that's when you start losing. Hmm. Interesting. Which it's interesting because for Sonny, and I'll use Sonny as the example, three of Sonny's favorite artists, Prince, Jeff Scott Soto, and Richie Kotzen, are all over the freaking musical map, all over the musical map. But he loves them. Right. What Sonny said is, I've said many, many times, I don't like ballads. And I've said it on this show. The truth of the matter is, is this show is a hard rock and metal show. I don't like my ballads in hard rock and metal. It's not that I don't like ballads. I love Yacht Rock. I love Hall and Oates. I love stuff like that from the 80s. But I, I want it from them. I don't want uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go from, from Van Halen. You understand? <laughs> that's right. that's all I'm saying. Roth couldn't pull that off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that was Sunny. How about you? Uh, the first time you heard that Gary Sharon was the new singer in Van Halen, you're an extreme fan. How did you feel about this? Oh, I was in very much like Eric, right? Huge extreme fan. Loved Nuno and Gary. Loved the mix. Loved the groove. Loved the vocals. The harmonies, you could hear the Van Halen in them, right? There was so it was marriage made in heaven. I had no issue with it. I'm 28 years old, and two of my favorite bands are about to kind of become one, very much like how I felt when it happened in 85, 86, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, or it will be just fine. Now, I wasn't in love with three sides because Extreme had cha- Extreme had changed a lot mm-hmm. from the first to the second to third album. Like they they were going through but I wasn't a huge queen fan either. And they were kind of mm. following this queen S thing of every album is so much different than the album before it. And you would have a rocker or two, but there was a lot of experimenting and that kind of stuff going on. It's just who they are. But uh, no, I, I was all in and I agree with Eric on the, he chose Batman. I'll choose, I'll choose the Joker. I was there when Cesar Romero was there. Even though he, he couldn't even shave his mustache. He put the makeup on <laughs> over the, what a lazy <laughs> I know, right? But And then when, you know, in my teenage years, Nicholson was the Joker, and I thought there would never be a better one. I thought Ledger knocked it out of the park, and hell, Joaquin Phoenix knocked it out of the park, right? Yeah. So you just never kind of let it go. You can stick with it. It's okay. But I, I'm also with Steven, is if it gets way out there, like I'll tell you, before we even get into this album, I am damn glad this was not the next Extreme album, because I maybe never listened to Extreme again. Right, so I'm glad this label does not have extreme on it. (laughs) Interesting. So for me, I was indifferent about it. I'm an extreme fan as well. When I heard Gary was joining the band, I was just kind of like, okay, that's not, I didn't see that coming. That's sort of left field. And then I was like, well, one guitar hero to another guitar hero. Okay, I can kind of see it. I kind of understand it. So I was just kind of in wait and see mode wait till the record comes out and hear what it sounds like. And I did see them live on tour and I thought they're really good. They had a great set list and uh, Gary did a fantastic job of pulling off the Roth era stuff. I thought it was uh, a really good, solid concert, uh, you know, 
Uh, so that was kind of my feelings on it. Gary has said he, he, in hindsight, he wishes he had done the tour before they did the record. So he could have, you know, been identified with the band and probably gelled with them over time and so forth. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's get into some basic facts about this album. So it was released March 17th of 1998. It was recorded March through December of 97. They recorded it at 5150 studios the album clocks in at 6522, which makes it the longest Van Halen album out of their entire career. In fact, somebody made the comment today that you could listen to Diver Down twice and <laughs> it still wouldn't be as long as this album, which I found kind of interesting. The label's Warner Brothers, and it was produced by Mike Post and Eddie Van Halen. Now, to listeners that aren't familiar with the name Mike Post, because it is not a hard rock, a rock name. It's not a producer that you hear a whole lot. Mike Post was responsible for doing a ton of very famous theme songs. Uh, Hill Street Blues, Magnum P.I., Rockford Files, just to name a few. Uh, I think he did the Greatest American Hero theme but music. Even or not, I'm yeah. walking on air. I think I think he wrote that for Joey Scarberry. But yeah, he's he's done a ton of stuff. Rock records was not his forte. Uh, it was mentioned that he and and Edward were friends, and Eddie said in an interview that I I watched today that producers were coming at them wanting to do this next album, and they wanted the old Van Halen and Eddie didn't want to do the old Van Halen. Eddie wanted to do something different. And Mike Post was the only guy that listened to their material that they had demoed with open ears. Okay. I get it. I understand. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> the album debuted at number four on billboard and sold 191,000 copies the first week. So if I'm doing the math here, which you're not doing it right. I can guarantee that already. <laughs> hey, mister, don't call that dog lifesaver. No. Call him shithead. And it sold 191K the first week out of the box. And here we are in 2021, and it's just sold roughly around 500,000. That means it basically sold almost half of its total albums that first week. So it's kind of like a movie debuting at number one. People go see the movie. It's a horrible movie. Word gets out and nobody goes sees it. And then it falls out and it's on video two weeks later. Same thing, I think, basically with this album. It really didn't have any staying power. It really didn't have any singles to propel it to continue to climb the charts or stay on the charts. 191,000 copies its first week. That was on the name alone. That was on curiosity alone. That wasn't because somebody heard something goes, oh, this is amazing, right? The band consists of Eddie Alex. Michael Anthony only played bass on three of the songs, and Eddie played bass on the rest of the album, and then the new singer, Gary Sharon, which we've already talked about. Let's talk about the album cover a little bit. So the album cover is, is a still picture. So a still picture from stock footage of Frank Cannonball Richards, a vaudeville and sideshow performer known for his act of getting shot in the gut with a cannonball. Right. A lot of people said this was one of the laziest album covers they had ever seen because the stock photo, if you look at it, 
it's sort of blurry. It's not even a very clear photo of this thing. So what's up with that? What do you think about that, Eric? Yeah, I think it's a terrible album cover. By the way, I also think Balance is a terrible album cover. I don't know what you guys said about that one, but like, remember when you were a kid and you saw you had 1984 and you just looked at an album cover and that was so badass and just the epitome of cool, right? Baby New Year smoking cigarettes and so forth. And then it pictures them on the back and everything. And then you got like a stock photo. I think it's pulled from a video, right? There's a video of that, if I'm not mistaken. It's a still of the video. Mm-hmm. And then just the Van Halen just poorly photoshopped of the time on the Canon, the shaft of the Canon, right? It's just not only the album cover, but then on the tour, like, and then they had like the circus themes, right? Stuff on the back and, you know, on staging and everything. There wasn't like any coherence to it. Like I didn't, it didn't fit any of the content. It didn't fit the cover. Like, are they, are they saying we're, they're, they're circus freaks or something like, you know, to use the term, but you know, it didn't make any sense. It didn't, it wasn't compelling, you know. I think it's terrible. Your thoughts on it, Sonny? What do you think? Yeah, it's a little bit all over the place, but this picture <laughs> says everything it needs to say to every Van Halen fan that listened to this album, probably. <laughs> right? A cannonball to the gut. That's that's exactly what this album is. It's just, uh, I don't know. It, it, there's just, there's a lot of decisions getting made here that don't seem like they're controlled or like, thought through decisions. I, I don't know. And I don't know if we can blame it on the musical landscape. I think this is an artist that is not being controlled. That's what this is. Now, when you say an artist, you're talking singly about Eddie, Eddie. Yeah. Cause you know, to me, you know, Tom needs Jerry, John needs Richie, Peter Miller needs jelly. Like Eddie needs somebody that controls him because even me, like uh, Nicole man brings me, my beautiful wife brings me down to reality three times a week at least, right? Because I'll have these crazy ideas or, oh my God, all this going on. It's like, that didn't happen to you. How the hell did you even get there, right? So you have to have somebody. And if Gary's just kind of there watching the greatness that's happening, but either is not allowed to say anything or doesn't feel like he can, hmm. then you get something that's a little uncontrolled. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point. I never thought of it like that. And that goes back to his point about saying he wished he'd have toured with them first, right? So yeah. maybe he would have, you know, I don't imagine he wasn't uncomfortable contributing, but you know, he probably came in into slightly intimidated, right? It takes a while yeah. before he's not Eddie Van Halen and that washes away and he's a colleague, right? And you're equals is that probably would never happen, right? He's still gonna yeah. be Eddie fucking Van Halen, right? You're you know, you're gonna be like, oh, sir, what if we did this, right? No yeah. matter who you are, right? So it's like the Queen solo stuff, like they checked each other. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? So Steven, it goes back to your thing. It's an Eddie solo album. Yeah. Shit, I have to bring uh, Pooney down uh, once a week on this uh, podcast just oh, to keep him Lord. in check. His ego is so <laughs> I've big. I've talked homie off the ledge several times. It happens at least once a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> More often than that. Anyhow. <laughs> but uh, yes, the whole thing leads back to what we discussed off of uh, audio last night, and I'll say it on audio tonight, which is if you think back to Eddie's entire career, from 77, 78, he had David Lee Roth there. And he and Dave were the power struggle within that band all the way up through 84. And even inject 
somebody like a Ted Templeman in the picture because I think Ted had quite a bit of power as well during that period of time. So you get to 84, Dave's out, in comes Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar, another very strong personality, somebody who's already had a career, so he's not just going to be pushed around, somebody that is equal, that gets part of the power. And he and Eddie do this part of the way. Sammy comes out and in comes Gary Sharon and Gary. I mean, by this time, Eddie is who he is. He's already gone through an entire career. So Gary was somebody that he could bring in and basically manhandle. And this became a Eddie Van Halen solo record. In my opinion, I don't think Gary had a whole lot of say in this record. Did he contribute? Of course he contributed. Eddie let him contribute. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that ultimately the decision went to Edward and maybe Al some of the times. Yeah. Another thing about this, I don't know the where the truth lies in Sammy leaving Van Halen, right? You guys remember all that stuff back in the day. And, you know, then Dave making an appearance with him in the MTV, you know, you better be wearing a cup next to all that bullshit, right? <laughs> Who knows where the truth ultimately lies on that, right? Regardless, Eddie Van Halen didn't set off wanting to not have his band anymore, whether it be Dave or eventually Sam. Right. So plus, you know, it's probably not a secret that he struggled with alcoholism. Right. Which there's depression in that mix, undoubtedly. Right. You know, and Gary certainly wrestles with that. I think, right. I had him on pods and sods and I talked about that exit Elvis record where he's holding a gun to his head and everything. I was like, dude, I'm just going to give you a hug. Like, you know, if you if you're an extreme fan, you get the threads. There are threads of depression in that stuff, right? Or sadness, maybe is probably a better fair way to say that, right? And and same for him. Like he he started extreme before Nuno. It was the dream, and then they were X the dream, X dream, right? And then Nuno came in, and so when he was in high school, right? And he didn't want to not have his band. So suddenly, these two guys that are maybe prone to sadness or depression are without their bands and and maybe trying to make the best of it. If that makes sense, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that until what you were just saying there, Stephen, but. There's a maturity of this record lyrically, but there's like a sadness to this record, I think, too. And the production doesn't help. I think, you know, you're talking about Mike Post. The production is very thin and very tinty and just not like not bright. There's no vibrance to it, you know? Well, and we'll get into this as we go through the track by track listing. But some of the tracks on this record are actually demos. I mean, they use some of the actual demos that they cut with Gary on the Gary said that the third day he was in the band, they wrote a song and cut the demo and used that demo on this record. Yeah, that's lazy. To me, that's lazy. I don't know. I don't get the whole thing. Like my understanding is that this at this period of time in Eddie's life, uh, he wasn't in a great place with drugs and alcohol. It's not a secret that he battled with the stuff all throughout, but I think that it was not great at this particular time. So, yeah, there's it's like this perfect storm of things that are weighing this down, you know, all the things that we're delineating, you know, contribute to this not being what you'd hope it'd be. Yeah. And I think Eric has a good point, though. If both of the main songwriters are pulling their feelings and their art from the same mindset then okay they don't have a yin and yang they just have a yin and that's what you're kind of getting in this right they don't pull it from like a party type place that's technically nuno and sammy that's not these two guys yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i think every band 
every great artist needs somebody that's not afraid to call it what it is or call it like they see it. Because we know, we know in music, there really is no right and wrong. I mean, honestly, there isn't. What somebody likes, somebody else may hate and vice versa. But there is a yin and yang within music through producers, other guys in the bands, songwriters, whatever, that says, hey, you're on to something with A and B. Let's change this a little bit or let's add this a little bit. Let's put a little bit of salt and a little bit of paprika in here. You know what I mean? And it makes something that would otherwise be kind of meh great. Right. Yeah. I don't think that was happening at this point in time because all of those powerful figures, whether it was Ted Templeman or Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth, they weren't in the picture at this point in time. Even Don Landy's not in the picture anymore. Can I just throw one more point in there? I, maybe two. You said there's no right and wrong in music, but there it definitely is right that Life is a Highway is the worst song ever. I just want to throw that <laughs> out there. About a girl by Nirvana is not much better. As an objective fact, right? But um, <laughs> the other background fact of this was, if you guys remember in the timeline, uh, like when humans being humans being came out, human beings, I never get that one right. But, uh, you know, I remember Eddie kind of around balance around that era, just after that, Eddie and Sammy publicly were talking a little bit about like a, a conflict about what Sammy would write lyrically. Right. And and Eddie, Eddie was of the mind that, you know, you can't write Panama. You know, we're looking we're 40 year old men. We can't be writing, you know, Christine 16, for lack of a better example. Right. And yet they still had Amsterdam. Wham, that's the stupidest <laughs> song ever. Right. But still, like, they, you know, Eddie wanted something more adult and mature. Right. So I, he was already on that trajectory before Sammy left. Right. So that's just more background leading into this record. If, if you guys remember that, I'm that's how I remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Sammy stuck to where he was, he never left it. Right. So everything, Mas- all the solo stuff he did after that. Right. He comes out immediately with more tequila, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So let's go track by track. Sonny, let's take it away and let's dig into this record. All right. So getting to the tracks, we open with an instrumental new world. Eric, I mean, it's pretty, but really, I guess you got Mike Post, so you got to have this. I mean, it's it's the melody of, of Without You, right? But it's like a, it's a, just a fun little intro, melodic. You know, I, it's, how old is Eddie in 98? 42? Something like that, 97, 42-ish, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's not it's not eruption. You know, it's a 42-year-old yeah. dude writing an intro for his new record, right? So I, yeah. I, I enjoy it. I think it's a, a nice little tasty piece of music. And Stephen, instrumental, I mean, you know, they've done it before, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, look, I think it's a nice piece of music. My issue with this is that it's the album opener, and it's a minute and 45 seconds long. So I think it's too long i don't mind instrumentals at the beginning of albums as long as they're setting up the song that's about to kick in and i don't necessarily think new world was doing that but i just don't necessarily like that it's a minute and 45 seconds and that it's the first thing you hear that's all yeah so i remember we'll get to the second track without you i get the cd i put it in my car where you can see on the back of the cd the first song's only a minute 45 so i hit skip because i don't want to hear no shitty instrumental 
right? So I hit skip, go to without you, and you immediately hear Gary. So without you, one minute in, I'm like, oh, this is VH plus extreme equals awesomeness. We're good to go if we got 12 of these songs. Eric, did you like it right from the get-go? I, there was no way I wasn't going to, to be completely honest, right? But yeah, I mean, I, I did love it right away. You know, I love the drum intro. This is probably redundant to every Van Halen episode you've done. I love the guitar, obviously, right? <laughs> but, you know, there's that breakdown in there that, no, 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 And he's doing like this funky, like syncopated stuff in the middle. This is probably me transferring or projecting. It's, it's very Nuno-y, right? But yeah. Nuno, of course, learned that from Eddie Van Halen. I'm not making, I'm not kidding myself, right? But 
you know, it's it's more rhythmic or syncopated than than I typically had heard Eddie play at that time, right? So, but I love that with the muted palm bits in the middle there. Yeah, and there's like a great guitar before that when Gary's like, the got, the got, the work it out. Like, and then there's these wonderful guitar flourishes there. So, yeah, just like you said, uh, Sonny, it's it's Van Halen, it's Gary, it's fucking them all in. It's great. Yeah. And I remember listening to it and going, ah, that pre-chorus. Uh, Steven, I'm like that pre-chorus. Nuno would have cut that shit out because Nuno would have been like the verse is good and the chorus is good. Let me just do like a little guitar transition in between the two, and we don't have to have that shitty thing you got in the middle. Because Steven, the song's not exactly perfect. Definitely not perfect. So today, when I was doing research, I watched this uh, MTV special uh, with Matt Penfield. It was uh, called Matt Rock, and it was. A uh, 43-minute interview with all four members of Van Halen, this version of Van Halen at 5150 Studio, talking about this album. And it's kind of weird because the room is dark and Eddie has sunglasses on in a dark room and he's playing guitar a lot. And he basically does most of the talking, but Gary does talk a little bit. And according to Gary, without you was the first song that they wrote together and they wrote it within three days of Gary being in the band. And this is the song I was referencing earlier where they used the demo version on this album. Now, to me, it feels like extreme. So it's a song that I think was made to sort of ease Gary into it. Maybe I like the bridge into the pre-course. You didn't like the pre-course. I like the bridge into the pre-course. I think it needs to be a little bit louder. So I don't like that they kind of muted the vocals on that one section. It's not very clear to me. And I think if it was clear and louder, it would maybe be a little bit more hooky to the ear. But I like the song overall. That's what I was getting at earlier. Like, I'm not sure how to describe that, but I think we're talking, there's like a lack of vibrance to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a production thing. But Gary's voice was always like tinty. He always had that like a bit of like a bit of a whiny thing to his voice, especially when he gets in his upper register and stuff. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Stephen. Production wise, like it just comes off a little bit muddy sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So third track, one I want. This track gets a a lot of hate. I love the lyrics to this song, Eric. Fat man ordering seconds. Like I thought he was talking about me. Like, I love these lyrics. I don't know when the last time was you read these lyrics, Eric, but they're awesome. I love these lyrics. It's, you know, as an extreme fan, you know this. Gary likes to write list songs, play with me yeah. and stuff, right? And this is one of Gary's list songs in my mind, right? You know, poor man, he just won a little rich man, won a little bit more. That's fucking great. Like, you know, he can turn a phrase, man, salesman, try to sell you his soul. That's awesome. Gary, I think, is a bit underrated as a lyricist. I think he... If Eddie, in fact, was looking for something more mature lyrically, you know, Gary would have been, he was a good guy. Like he had, that was one of the brushes he brought in his toolbox, if you will, right? To mix metaphors. But, you know, he was a good singer. He could sing both Dave Lee Raw stuff and Sammy stuff, create his own interesting vocal lines and so forth. Like he does it here, you know, uh, lucky men don't always know who they are. Like he does the way he sings sometimes, like he throws in different phrasings and stuff. So he brings all of that stuff, plus the lyrics is what I was getting at, right? Uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. For for me, you know, not to give a whole lot away, but kind of the first half of this record is, I think, super solid. Love every song. I think they're gems. And then it drops off a massive cliff, and I just don't like the rest of it at all. Um, <laughs> but it, it starts it starts off really strong. I love the intro, Without You, One yeah. I Want. Let me ask you guys this question, because I didn't really think of it this way until I was listening to it 
in preparation to speak with you guys about this. You know, obviously we didn't talk about it yet, but Michael Anthony's role in this is pretty limited. And I think background vocals is one of the areas where that suffers. Like I don't, I don't hear a lot of like the rich, you know, when it's love sweeping vocal harmonies and so forth. Right. What are your guys thoughts on just background vocals in Van Halen three compared to the rest of their catalog with Michael Anthony? Yeah. My, my thing is because of the feel of some of the, songs and the lyrics and etc those big backing sweeping vocals are usually very peppy they make you feel good and it doesn't fit here and that's what i got a problem with the demo is i get it somebody hands you a tape it is what it is but you're still working the knobs dude can you just make gary a little louder like i can't hear the guy and he's the vocalist wasn't wasn't working the knobs one of the b-sides from uh fair warning (laughs) yeah Yeah, Stephen, I don't know if we know, do we know the story of why Michael was only partially involved? Well, I mean, according to some of the things I read, so we know he played bass on three of the tunes on this record and didn't play bass on any of the rest of it. He basically left, but he did the tour. So it wasn't like when he left, he was out of the band because he did do that tour with them after this album came out. So I don't quite understand that. I know Eddie played bass on the other tunes. The only thing I can think of is Eddie was notorious for staying up till eight o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, he would work through the night at 5150. So maybe when he wanted something or needed something on tape, he just did it. And Michael wasn't available because Michael didn't live there. You know, yeah, uh, that's the only thing I can think of. And Mike probably never really fought it because, quite honestly, Michael probably really wasn't into this. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he probably was stuck in the middle between, you know, loyalty to these guys and his friend Sam. And, you know, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to stay. There's I, I'm just imagining that. But if that were me, yeah, yeah. That's probably how I would feel right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stephen, the groove of the song is good. Right. One I want. And I think. Extreme should redo this with Nuno because I think it would come out great. Uh, my my notes were this. I like it. I know people bust on the lyrics because I've heard that repeatedly as well, but I like the groove. So I said exactly that. I said, I just think basically my issue with this song is that I think it could have used a stronger bridge, pre-course and course, because I don't think the pre-course, the bridge and the actual course are very strong. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's a decent, oh, that's only half the song. Other than that, that's like half the song. It's, uh, I don't, (laughs) but I've said from day one that I'm not a lyrics person. I just need, I need a good groove. And I got that with this song. So, and I like the cadence in which he delivers the lyrics.
All right. So next track from afar, you know, I was listening to this a couple of times. It has something. So Eric, what I did was dropped into audacity, sped it up by 50% and it sounds amazing (laughs) to be honest with you. So everybody should hear this song at one and a half speed because if the speed is at, it's really bad. <laughs> Eric, your thoughts? That's awesome. I never. I, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that for year year to the day. Maybe that'll. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I I love the first. I'm going to just call it the first side of this record. It's not really that, but you know, uh, again, aforementioned. Come on, that's the same number of syllables as I don't feel tardy. I think. <laughs> but this reminds me of Extremes Naked. Yeah. You know that song, right? Yeah. Where it's like this dance between Gary's vocal and Eddie's guitar. He did that with Nuno, right? We were talking about Eddie recording this a lot kind of by himself. I think he did a lot of the percussion and, and drums too. This The percussion feels more Eddie than Alex to me, right? There's like sort of that non-traditional sounds, like he's tinkering with percussion sounds, right? Musically, like if you're a Van Halen fan, I think there's a lot of compelling moments in these songs. If you consider get over you know hating that sammy hagar ruined van halen or whatever stuff people are hung up on if you can just hey man i I love eddie van halen let me hear where he was in 1998 if you can just like get through that prism i think there's a lot in these songs that you can appreciate right as different aspects of of a guy at a different point in time again recognizing what you said earlier Stephen, about you know you know wanting your pure chocolate without the peanut butter in it or whatever right but you know like I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Van Halen Ice Cream Man fans really want to know about surrendering to your quiet contemplation. But that's fine, you know. I like that, and I'll like, you know, I'll go back to listen to Van Halen too or whatever, right? So, you know, I like that I have different sides of this performer, you know, this artist and this collection of guys, you know. So I, I still love it from afar. I'm going to listen to it at one and a half speed, though. That's. <laughs> From afar 
against your lips Taste the sweetness of your breath Steven, there's no way Sammy or Dave sign off on this song. They would have just turned around and left. There's, I'm not putting vocals on that song. Well, I think it's an amazing title, From Afar. You know why? Because this song, From Afar, is really good, but far from good. <laughs> that sounds like a dairy lyric right there. <laughs> good from afar, but far from good. That's what this song is. <laughs> you know, it's slow and it has some cool sounds like you guys pointed out and the ideas just don't hold my attention. And we didn't even talk about without you, the first single being six minutes and 30 seconds, not to go back to that, but six minutes and 30 seconds, five minutes and 30 seconds from afar is five minutes and 24 seconds. It's just too long, man. Too long. That's what she said. That is (laughs) what she said. She said too thick. (laughs) To, To be fair too, like there's, there's a point in time and, you know, I think, you guys probably recognize it. We should all recognize it where our classic rock bands have been, you know, Bruce Springsteen could not have a hit in 2021, right? As great as Bruce is or name the artist, right? Paul McCartney couldn't have a hit this. And this, you know, Van Halen was not going to have a hit in 1998. It was a different, it was a different world, right? It's a new world, right? Yeah. This was the era of like getting jiggy with it or, fuck, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. I love that song. Whatever, right. <laughs> you know, without you, no matter what, it was going to be three thirty. it was not going to be, it was not going to be a hit. Right. So, yeah, just forgo that that's even an ambition and just write what you want to write and so forth. Right. Uh, that's the way I look at it man. after a point in time, you know? Yeah. So our next track, fifth track on the album, dirty water dog. <laughs> so it starts with Alex on the drums. Is that Eddie brushing his teeth for the first 30 seconds? Is that what that is? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I love that little <laughs> brush. I love brush sound in there. Right. <laughs> What'd you think about the song? I mean, I love it. It's, you know, I'm sure part of what they're also, they don't want to forget their roots. Like Extreme did this. You talked about it earlier. Like on the first record, they wrote like a bunch of party songs, man, because that's what they knew. And then they started, the scope of what they're writing got bigger, but they still write a party song, King of the Ladies and so forth, right? They still would write party songs. Van Halen obviously is the archetype of that, right? So they still wanted to have like Bird Dog and Chase and Girl songs, but it's a bit more clever. There's like a twist to it, right? It's like a post Sammy song about bird dogging, right? It's it's a more grown up version of of that stuff, right? To say that on growing up rock. But I, you know, I love I, I wrote down the line, uncomfortable in the realm of the political position's always been a little left cynical. I'm fundamentally for the individual, preoccupied purely with the physical.
Sounds that's like the, teacher's pet. <laughs> and then it's, you know, what heavy is the weight of the world? Yeah. And it runs a little too. That is still just like a getting laid lyric. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a clever, wordier. You know, he rhymed four words that don't really rhyme there, but it still is like a chasing, it's bird dog and it's chasing a girl, right? But it's, yeah. it's a more mature, I don't know, clever version of that. Uh, Steven, I call this the Foghorn Leghorn song because the end of that chorus, he says, I'm a peek boy looking at girls and I think I like, I think I like, I like what I see. <laughs> Very Foghorn Leghorn. What do you think about this song? Now what? I say, what's the big idea bashing me on the noggin with a rolling pin? Clunk enough people, and we'll have a nation of lump heads. I said, I said, I said, let me tell you what I think about this song, son. Pull up a chair, let me tell you. <laughs> so they didn't have a title to this song. Eddie said that the title actually comes from Wolfie uh, because they were in New York and Wolfie wanted a hot dog from the stand, which they call mm. in New York dirty water dogs, right? That's what they call the hot dog stands there in New York. So that's where the song title came from. I actually might like this song if it wasn't a Van Halen song. Uh, it's overall, it's not a horrible song at all, but it just, I don't know. It's just different. If it, if it had a different artist name on it, I could probably deal with it. Uh, I just don't think it's a Van Halen song. That's all. So the sixth track once, Eric, I was thinking, when this song comes up, Gary's like, what in the hell am I doing here? I thought we were going to do 12 runarounds or 12 ain't talking about loves. What the hell is this? <laughs> Eric, you like this song? I do like this one. After this song is where it drops off for me. I, yeah, I like Once a lot. You know, it's cinematic. You know, what you said, Stephen, about Eddie hanging out in the studio and just creating music. You know, I picture that alone a lot, right? And I can see something like this coming from that and it kind of makes me sad right like you know yeah i want to hear the party stuff but i also i can appreciate that he has other emotions and so forth right but it's also a bit uncomfortable sometimes especially not posthumously i don't know but this is another gary list song the way i see it right he's using those like parallelisms or you know like the uh that's not what you your country can do for what you can do for your country those are called parallelisms i think right so he's doing that once revealed can never be not seen. Like Gary's kind of writing a list of those, right? Once felt can never be untouched. But, uh, you know, I also feel like this song, it kind of meanders a little bit. Another thing about it that I think maybe subconsciously it feels a little bit like Love Walks In lyrically. The lyrics are about getting touched by something greater than yourself, right? Or whatever. And it's got like this spiritual hook to it or aliens as love walks in case. Right. But, you know, I think if you think of this as them going for a love walks in and you like love walks in, maybe you'll, maybe you'll hook into this a little bit more, but I understand how this isn't, this was not going to solidify Van Halen quote fans.
So I love Love Walks In. That doesn't help. <laughs> and you know how Stephen every once in a while will talk about, hey, if you cut out a couple of minutes, this song would have been easier to take. The song was seven and a half minutes, Stephen. To me, you would have had to cut all seven and a half minutes. The song is shit. Really? And it's not the worst song on this album, and it's shit. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> Did you try listening to it like two speed or anything? Oh, uh, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Twice? No. <laughs> I basically got super scared when, when, <laughs> when Eric said this is when the record, after this song is when the record starts getting bad. Really? Right before the best song on the album? Come on. Anyway, I'm going to let that go. We'll get there. So once for me... This is my notes on once a boring tune that basically goes nowhere and last almost eight minutes. And I wrote, Ugh. So, <laughs> so look, I understand all the stuff that Eric said, and I actually believe that it's true. I think Eddie, like a lot of other artists are just, they have their demons they're fighting with. And for Eddie, there was a lot of loneliness involved with those nights out in the studio and i believe that as an artist he should put all that on tape or get it out however he needs to get it out again i'll harken back to what i said in the beginning which is awesome you're eddie van halen slap your name on it and put it out as an eddie van halen solo album that way you're telling me i can listen to it buy it or not listen to it but when you slap the van halen name on it the Van Halen name that comes with the history of running with the devil. Somebody get me a doctor. You know, all these great songs. This song doesn't belong in that catalog. To me, it doesn't belong in that catalog. And so it's a boring tune that basically goes nowhere and lasts almost eight minutes. Ugh. <laughs> Steven just explained Coke and New Coke. That's what he just explained. <laughs> uh, all right. So seventh track, Fire in the Hole. I remember hearing this on the Lethal Weapon 4 movie. I love the Lethal Weapon movies, even though not all four are great. I love them anyway because, you know, they got the actors they got. This is the point in the record when I got pissed off that Gary's not loud enough. To me, it'd be a great song if I could actually hear Gary. Yeah, it's not a bad song. I'm not saying that. But for me, for me on this record, like I'm, you know, I'm liking... Well, I'm glad that you guys invited me on this particular episode because a lot of people probably would just straight up shit on all of this stuff. Right. And I appreciate yeah. that you're, you know, and I'm, I think I'm being honest about it. I'm not saying it's the greatest record of all time. Right. I'm just giving you my yeah. context of it. And like I said, at the beginning, I, I was going to like this by hooker crook, Gary with Van Halen. I was all in. Right. So, yeah. you know, there's probably a bit of me convincing myself back in the day and it stuck with me. Right. But, you know, fire in the hole, like this was a, just a straight rocker. Like this is kind of forgettable. Like there's some songs on balance and stuff that are, and, you know, in front of lawful common knowledge where I'm like, ah, you know, spank, like there's songs on air where I'm just like, yeah, it's just, I could just do with that. They're, they're, they're probably your favorite song where I'm like, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of forgetful, right? Forgettable. Right. And this is one I'm like, ah, eh, it's just not bringing anything new or interesting for me. It's just a straight rocker. Not bad. You know, it got a fa actually in Philly and WMR, it got a fair amount of radio airplay, probably more than without you. I remember hearing us on radio quite a bit and you know, it, you guys will laugh at this idiot. Me is like, come on, man. They got to release once, or you know, <laughs> why are they why are they wasting the airplay with this song? They need uh, you know the one I want on here, or whatever, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean it's good, you know. But for me, this is when I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really like the rest of this record. That's usually when I stop listening. Yeah, uh, Stephen, this is a little closer to traditional Van Halen. That's probably why you like it. 
Yeah. For the very same reason that Eric said he thought it was forgettable because it's a straight up rocker. I think on this album, it's memorable because none of the other yeah. stuff is even close to straight up rocking. So fire in a hole when you finally get there. I like this song. I think it's, it is the closest thing to um, the old Van Halen that we know. I'm listening to this album the other day, the eighth track, Josephina. I'm listening or reading some interview, and uh, it came up in the interview that they delayed the album to add Josephina on. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I don't remember what Josephina sounds like. So I popped this thing in, and I'm like, this is what they waited for. <laughs> what the fuck? Did they owe somebody named Josephina money? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Eric, they waited for this. Yeah, it's not like, like there's a similar story. Kansas was recording Left Overture. And then they were done and Carrie Lavering came in and said, I got this song called Carrie on Wayward Son. And yeah. then that made, you know, it's not like that, right? It feels, <laughs> you know, you know? I'm not going to have a lot of flowery stuff to say about the rest of the songs on this record. This, the only thing I like about this song is I basically wait for him to sing that line. Can you shine your light? Like I basically wait for that part. And I'm like, oh yeah, this was cool. And then I just sort of slink back into my seat and listen to the rest of it. And it also, it reminds me there was an extreme B side from three sides called Monica. Yeah. That was like, just as forgettable, unfortunately. Yeah. And Josephina is not like um, it's not a it's not an accessible name. I've never met a Josephina, right? Like, give me a you know, a Laura. 
<laughs> yeah. Give me like a common name or something, you know, Monica, you know, Vanessa, Jessica, something, right? Pam. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Joseph, do you, have either of you guys ever met a Josephina? I have, but I live in California. So, <laughs> all right. I, I guess I, I, I guess it could have been Wham Pam Amsterdam. <laughs> it could have been, right? I'd like no to talk to Pam. <laughs> no one's finer than Josephina. <laughs> yeah, there there was a song. I just read this again, studying for you guys here, but there was a song called That's Why I Love You that maybe yeah. got displaced by this one. And yeah. that one feels like a poppier balance era guitar song. Yeah. I, I think that would have been a better fit. Yeah, Stephen, this uh, the song is too weird. Like I was really trying to listen, and there is a simple, great melody in there somewhere that got lost in the weirdness of whatever else happened to it. So yeah, it, it did. This song was a last minute replacement for "That's Why I Love You." I've never heard that song, but you've heard it, Eric. You said it's a. It's it, on yeah. I've it's heard on it YouTube. You can go look yeah. at it. it's on YouTube. It's pretty good. It's got got a little hook. It's got like yeah, you know, it's, it's got like a run around kind of bouncy guitar thing yeah. going. The feel doesn't fit this album. Okay. That's what the problem is. Yeah. yeah. To me, this is a ballad. I don't care. It lacks a great melody and a hook. And of course, I know that that's kind of been a little bit my theme throughout this record. But honestly, that's the way I feel on a lot of this stuff. It's just, I'll say this. It's a lot of great guitar work because there is a lot of cool stuff that Eddie is doing and he's experimenting and he's being the genius that he is. And I can appreciate 
all of that. I get it. But a great guitar player doesn't always make a great song. And if we're talking about actual songs on a record that aren't just instrumentals, these songs to me don't necessarily have, they don't go places. I mean, they just kind of wander aimlessly for minutes and minutes and more minutes. And it just, it loses my attention often. And that's, that's the theme of this record. And Josephina is an example of that. Year to the day, the ninth track, Eric, this is where I'm like, okay, you are not doing Gary any favors because if people don't know who Gary Sharon is and their first taste of Gary Sharon is on this Van Halen album. This whiny melody would completely turn you off to listen to any other Gary stuff. It's unfortunate. Yeah, when he's just like that, yeah, yeah, like at the end when he's screaming yeah, year and yeah. that 365 is cheesy as AF, as the kids <laughs> say. This song just meanders and it just yeah. never comes together at all. I haven't heard your balance episode yet, but I kind of felt this about that song feeling. Yeah, oh yeah, same thing. I remember they did it on Letterman. I was like, this is, this, this is, this, <laughs> what are you doing, right? There were like two or three other songs just ready to be hits on that record and they were, they were whipping out feeling. This even meanders even more than feeling, you know, this is even worse, you know, back to the point I was saying about Eddie doing this at home alone and so forth. If you listen to the intro to this, like the opening, like it's very solitary and lonely and, you know, maybe I'm, I'm uber sentimental lately with the pandemic and especially we're just past years since we lost Eddie. Right. But it makes me sentimental just hearing him play this sad stuff, you know? So I appreciate it in that way, but Eddie plus, you know, whoever else he, pulled in off the street, Alex or Michael or Gary, in this case, there's a no magic. Like it doesn't, it never congeals or comes together on the song. And they did this on the tour, which, Weird. you know, that's a bathroom break song. I hate to say that, but. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Steven, if you have eight minutes and 34 seconds, I suggest you have sex four times because I would not spend it doing this. Or go to the bathroom, as Eric pointed out. That's a perfect. So, for one we'll go to the bathroom for eight minutes and thirty-four seconds. Well, if you're if you're in an arena, it takes you a little bit of time to get there, right? You got to stand in line because there's a bunch of dudes standing in line, so it takes that long. But look, if they play Josephina at five minutes and forty-two seconds in year two of the day, right after it at eight minutes and thirty-four seconds, I can go out to the car, have sex, come back in, go to the bathroom, pick up a hot dog at the dog stand and get back to my seat in time so and have sex four times uh, well four times for sunny uh, just once for me <laughs> uh, but yeah i i put after the ballad another slow boring tune that is eight minutes long wow yeah, yeah. so then we come to 10 which is primarily and is primarily an instrumental this thing's got one thing going for it it is better than strung out and doing time off the last record. That's what it's oh. got going for. <laughs> Eric, what do you think? <laughs> I think I think I like those two. Doing time is the drum one, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the strung out one is when he threw all the pennies on the piano, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might be right. Uh, let me let me put it to you like this. This makes the songs from the Wildlife soundtrack look awesome. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Steven, how about you? Instrumental? Does anybody care? Here's my issue. On the first Van Halen record, instrumental meant something. Eruption was life-changing. It was an instrumental that meant something. And even on Van Halen 2, Spanish Fly, again, it's an instrumental that meant something. 
316 was really something yeah. special too, yeah. Somewhere yeah. along the way, instrumental to Edward Van Halen became the definition of noodling because a lot of this stuff that he's releasing, whether it was on balance or on this record is just basically sounds like he's noodling and pushes record and they give it a title and they call it an instrumental and they release it. To me, this is kind of just meh. So, I mean, it is noodling. It's noodling. That's what Eddie's doing. He's noodling and they're recording it and putting a title on it. I don't get it, but yeah, you know, whatever. So second to last track ballot or the bullet. Now I've got no information that quantifies this or confirms this, but Eric, this sounds like a leftover from three sides. Like this sounds like something Gary so? brings and says, Hey, we were going to do this, but Nuno didn't like it. Do you want to do it? I never thought of it through that uh, lens. Yeah, I'm going to listen to it that way. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I never thought of it like that. I'm not a fan of this song. Just lyrically, I think it's, I think it's kind of terrible. Actually, you know, I, you know, I, it feels a little too real lately. Not to get political with you guys, but yeah. I'll take the pen and the ballot any day. You know, this is in '98, so it's a different era, and he's using like, like was it Huey P. Newton, the by any means necessary, and so forth, right? Yeah. Well, he's talking about liberation, so you know, me listening to it in 2021 is different than in '98 or whatever. But just not a fan. This. <laughs> this is just a joke. The only way this song could be worse is, would be if it was Life is a Highway. <laughs> <laughs> Which version do you hate? Do you hate the Tom Cochran version or the Rascal Flats version? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate that song so bad? I just It's just become a symbol of like, you know, how there's these earworm songs out in the world that you never choose to listen to and yet you just yeah. fucking can't avoid them. That's just the one. It's like the catchiest, most annoying, bouncy in the movie Cars. Just Pablum Drek, you know, so it's just become, it's just become the punchline of all of that. And I just, I just threw that one out at random. You know, it's, I, I think have- there's a subconscious thing going on there. I think he was about to get lucky in a car while that song was playing and <laughs> the person kicked him out and Thanks he's like, that. that's it. I'm never listening to that song again. That Life song is, is bad luck. <laughs> Damn you. Yeah. Uh, Steven, we've talked yeah. about this song before. It's okay in some places. At least it moves, which is a yeah. far cry from what the last few songs did. So at least it moves. One thing I'll note is that Eddie throughout his career really hasn't done a ton of slide stuff. And he does a little bit of that in this song, which is different for him. That's kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't hate this song. I definitely don't love it, though.
This last track, how many say I, Eric, if this is my reward from sitting through this shitty album is to end with this song, yeah. that, that's just mean. That's just me. Really? Let me hear your thoughts, Stephen, and then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the opposing, I'm going to make a case for this song, but I want to hear yours first, Stephen, if you don't mind. Mine? Yeah. All right, so how many say I, Eddie on lead vocals, he claims he was forced into singing. No. I don't think so. A writer once wrote cringeworthy and unintentionally hilarious. Why? <laughs> this is another song that really goes nowhere. I swear there are other vocals that are not Eddie's that are on this song. Like in certain places, there are a couple places where there's no way it's Eddie singing. I don't know who it is, but it just sounds. Yeah, Gary's, Gary's doing the harmonies with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, it just sounds different. I don't know. This yeah, this song doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I listened to it today and no. So I'll even tell you one more thing, Eric. When I hear Eddie doing lead vocals, I realize and understand why he wanted to hire a singer. <laughs> yes. I can So see. Eric, go ahead, profess your love for this song. I don't know why you well, have any. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a case for this, right? So buckle up. But I have I have two thoughts I want to share it, and this is kind of a this might be a a sweet way to end your Van Halen series, right? Because my first thought is this, which is not the best one, but remember Michael Jordan tried playing baseball, I think it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're Michael Jordan, you know, you should know your strengths and like be the Michael Jordan of basketball rather than just a guy, another guy playing baseball, an average guy playing baseball, right? So that's true of Eddie Van Halen, right? And I'm thankful that he didn't didn't try to sing ever before or since or whatever. Right. So, you know, he's the Eddie Van Halen of guitar. Don't be the Michael Jordan of baseball of singing. Does that make yeah. sense? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm down with all the criticism and, you know, people hurling arrows at it and so forth. Right. However, having said that, I really like that we have this, right. It's a novelty. Of course, you know, you hear the story that he was pressured into singing and so forth. Right. He doesn't have a strong voice. He knows he doesn't have a strong voice. You know, he was, 
he was shy in speaking, right? I think, right? He's soft-spoken, shy. He wasn't gregarious like fucking David Lee Roth and so forth, right? So I like that we get to hear him sing, use his voice, right? Like it, you know, again, maybe it's me being sentimental and and that we lost him, right? Like this kind of brings a tear to my eye and not in a painful way, like life is a highway, like you guys are saying, right? But I like the sweetness of, man, we get a song with good lyrics, a positive message, right? About how we can all be better and so forth, right? Just sort of this introspection of like, how many of us realize that we can do better when we see the homeless person and walk past them and the lyrics say, right? that we have Eddie Van Halen from the grave, you know, posthumously, I can listen to this and hear him singing that message to me. Right. And that, that's a sentimental like that. I feel that that is so much more valuable than just like, Oh, here, Gary sang another song. And that's that. Right. Yeah. Like to me, this is, this is, you know, if Gary was the guy that said, no, man, you sing this one. And Eddie was reluctant. He was like, no, 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 man, really? And Mike Post was like, yeah, you should sing. And you know, if that's what they did and we got this, you, know, you guys can shit on it and so forth. That's fine, right? But <laughs> I thank those guys, man. We wouldn't have Eddie Van Halen singing this song with these words for the rest of our lives to enjoy, right? So yeah. through that perspective, that's that's why I love this song. Not a great song, not a great singer. It doesn't matter. It's Eddie Van Halen. Everything he ma- means to us, right? He'll forever mean that to us. And we have this little, we have this nugget, this novelty, this thing of him singing this song with these good good words that we can that resonate with all of us. So. That's me making a case for how many say I. Okay. 
I can recognize that and I can appreciate that. I don't appreciate you trying to make me and Sonny look like heels now that we've gone through this. <laughs> oh, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter me. <laughs> and shit on this. But no, look, I appreciate all the warts and all for all this stuff. And as big a fan as I am of Van Halen, I can be honest about the warts, right? Because there are some warts throughout their catalog, and it's not all just Van Halen 3. There are other warts throughout the catalog as well that I don't love, but... Spanked. I actually <laughs> like Spanked. I like that. Oh, you bad, bad boy. Yeah, I, I like Spanked, but anyway. Love it. So look, it's, uh, it's a fair assessment. I can appreciate uh, what you're saying about it. It's just I'll, I'll stand by what I said. Yeah, that's the way I feel. Let me challenge you and, and your listeners and stuff. Just ha- having heard what I said right there, just listen to it, not as like a song or a song, on yeah, this yeah. Record, but like a gift. We got this gift of Eddie Van Halen singing this song that we wouldn't have otherwise. Right. So just release, you know, it's not going to be, you know, everybody wants some or whatever. It's not that it's not intended to be that, you know, just think of it like I'm saying as a gift of, you know, we get the we get there. There's no other example of this. We get there. Eddie sing this. Yeah. Again, and he he knows he's not a great singer. He's trying. It's got this innocence to it because of that too. So, I think I said enough. Yeah. All right. So we always do a bottom two and a top two of the album we're doing. So I'll share mine first. My bottom two are once and year to the day, and my top two, Dirty Water Dog, and the only song that I go back to from this album that makes any one of my playlists ever, and that is one I want. How about you, Eric? Uh, let's see. I'm gonna say. Uh... One I want, and I think it might be without you. Yeah, one I want and without you. Those are my top two. Bottom two, yeah, Bowler of the Bullets, and then Year to the Day. Yeah, Year to the Day, just because it's shorter than Josephina <laughs> or longer. You know, if, yeah. you know, you could listen to Dire Down three times just in Year Year to the Day. I think. <laughs> Stephen, how about you? Top two are Fire in the Hole and Without You. Uh, bottom two or once and year to the day. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we always try to connect this to Kiss. You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So while. Sharon and Van Halen are getting together. The Mighty Kiss is supposedly putting all four members in a studio and recording. And we find yes. out later all four members were not in the studio recording, no. but they released Psycho Circus. So I wanted to play a song off Psycho Circus and I wanted to play a Paul song and I wanted to play a song everybody makes fun of. So I picked I Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll. There we go.
Remember that song, Eric? I love that song. Of course, I remember that song. It's a, a co-write by Holly Knight, right? Yeah, yeah, Pretty I think cool. so. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about that: there's a line I never cared about regulations, right? <laughs> of all bands, the the dude who breathes fire and have pyrotechnics and swings. <laughs> These motherfuckers should care about regulations more than anybody because they need safety. You know what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? But, yeah. Steven, any love for that song? Yeah, I like that song. I think it's all right. It's one of the few. It, I mean, as a whole, uh, Psycho Circus is not great, but there's a handful of songs on it that I like. That's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, in uh, you know, just wrapping up the Van Halen three. Like I said before, I'm I'm glad this is not an extreme record. <laughs> Leave it to Van Halen. I'm also glad this was not their last record. Yeah, that that's good news too. Uh, I didn't need. I don't. I hope there's no unboxing of another Gary Sharon record somewhere because well, there, <laughs> I don't have good feelings demos. about that record either. There were some demos. They started to work. Van Halen started to work on additional songs after this. I don't. I can't speak to them. I never really listened to them, but they're out there. I think supposedly they had 25 songs written 25 or 30 Ooh. songs written and these are the 12 they pick and these are the 12 <laughs> they pick wow a lot of times when bands say they they wrote 30 songs for a record they're uncompleted songs they're songs that are ideas and maybe it's you know a verse or a verse in a course but uh a lot of times they're just uncompleted songs so yeah you don't know what to know hey let me let me ask you guys a question if you don't mind there was no winning with this record, right? No matter what they would have done, you know, the David Lee Roth people still were hung up. Sammy Hagar now, second wave of that. It was kind of a lose-lose, right? Like there was it, there was no way it was going to, they were going to catch lightning in a bottle a third time. Yeah, my personal feeling is Eddie's a talented enough guy to where they could have put out a good record. So many people want to shove this album off on Gary Sharon, which I think is a hundred percent incorrect. Yeah, unfair. Did he have some say in this record? Yeah, we know that he contributed. We know he contributed some lyrics. I'm sure he contributed some melody lines and things like that. But there's no way in hell that this record is not an Eddie Van Halen solo record. And there's no way in hell that the failure of this record could be put on Gary Sharon's shoulders. I think that if they would have treated it more seriously, maybe Eddie set aside some of his artistic feelings and maybe they bought a producer in that was willing to put out a rock record and not be a yes guy. I think they could have put out a good record. I know they could have. We know they could have because they put out different kind of truth 12 years later, right? 12 years later after this record, something like that, 16 mm -hmm. years later, whatever. They put out a different kind of truth with Roth and Roth wasn't the difference in that record. It was just better melodies, better riffs. I'll get off my high horse. I got two thoughts on that. One is if you go back to like the 1984 or the Diver Down type of situation where either you're going to write pop type songs because you got a guy who's got a voice of an angel. There's no doubt about it. You could do anything in that genre. Or you go to the Diver Down solution where you're going to do some covers, you're going to do some originals, you're going to keep it to three to four minute you know, rock songs. You could catch lightning in a bottle there. Hmm. There's also, I could create an argument of 
1998. You're a legacy band. You've been around 20 years. You don't right. got to put out an album. You could have toured, wait a couple of years, tour again, wait a couple of years, tour again. You keep selling arenas, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a problem that Gary's a great showman. There's no, he has no problem doing the daily raw songs. That's why they brought him back in the fold. Right? So right. you didn't need this album. I think this album actually did more harm to you than it did good. Without a doubt. I, that's a hundred percent on point. This album did more damage to the band than good. Yes. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's there, you know, there's many fans that would say, you know, give it to me and I'll choose whether I listen to it or not. Okay. I'm telling you, there's only one song on this thing that ever makes a playlist of any kind for me. And that's one I want. That's it. I don't listen to the rest of the album. I had not listened to the album in full in probably 20 years. It's wow. probably been 20 years because you know, I remember not loving it. You know what you're missing though? There's a song in here called Josephina. You should really get that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, they, they waited and put it on there and it's yeah. supposed to be like a pour some sugar on me last minute thing. Yeah. Guys, don't all great iconic rock bands have this album. Isn't this just their elder? I know you're framing, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see it that way. Like, you know, I like Heath Ledger Joker and I don't really like Caesar Romero Joker, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I like, I like having the options, right? So, you know, I can listen to them in different moods. You know, I can listen to the party, David Lee Roth. I can listen to the nostalgic high school, Sammy stuff. Right. And then I can listen to this and it's a one-off. Right. But I would absolutely rather have it than not have it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. We had to do the album. It's part of the 12. We couldn't skip it. So. Well, and I appreciate you guys having me on. I know there's probably not a lot of people that would be as, uh, positive about some of these songs and certainly no one would have been as uh, pretentious and gotten in a soapbox about how many say I, like I did. So I appreciate <laughs> you indulging me and having me on and letting me uh, spew my uh, love for that song. And the, you know, this record, well, half of it. I'm happy that you finally made it onto the show. I'm glad that you bought your insight and your soapbox for uh, how many say I, uh, so it's all good. I appreciate that part of it. You know, I'm just happy that, like Sonny said, this isn't the last Van Halen record. I'm glad we got one more to go in the season, uh, and we'll finish up this year-long venture next month, basically. And it'll be a big crescendo at the end. So we'll do a different kind of truth, and then we'll rank all the Van Halen albums from 1 to 12. I, by the way, I misspoke that this was the last one. You're right. I, you know, yeah. you do have different kind of truth. So yeah. we can come back at the end of that episode and talk about how many say I again, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to clip that out of the episode and release it as a bonus. <laughs> right. Bonus track, Japanese version. Listen alone in the dark, in your car, whatever. How many say I headphones. Think of Eddie's left this and try not to shed a tear. I, I defy you. I'm going to actually do that because I think I think it matters what your mindset is when you listen to some of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And I I said you know I make fun about it with Richie all the time, but Richie has this acoustic cuts record that if you are in any type of depression, mm-hmm. you better not own that record. That <laughs> record will send you over the edge because it can be so sad. But if you're right. feeling pretty good, it's kind of a nice listen because it's a you know a little bit different. You can sing along, you can feel the feelings, but the mindset matters. So I'm going to yeah. try it. Yeah. And before he died, I would not have made the same case for this song. I would have made the case that it was a novelty and so forth. Right. It's, it's cute yeah. that we have it and so forth, but you know, just listening to it here in a run up of talking to you guys, I got a different perspective on it now. Yeah. That's good. Fair enough. Do you want to plug anything before we go? I mean, 
pods and sods, you kind of retired from that, right? Yeah, we, we put out episodes here and there sporadically. Uh, Craig does more so than I. I haven't put anyone out in well over a year, but you know, I, if I could plug anything growing up rock with uh, Hollywood and Steven fucking you guys killing it, by the way, can I curse on the show at the end? I ask, I maybe dropped a hundred F bombs. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you having me on. You could still go back and listen to all the six pack episodes that you guys were on. And I was uh, grateful and you know, that you guys came on and indulged me. There's some really good ones in there. I mentioned night Ranger, I yeah. think we did something we did Y and T, if I remember yep. correctly. Yep. Y&T? Yeah. 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 So go go check it's on podsodcast.com. And you guys are tagged in them. So you can go look right for Sonny, go look right for Steven and listen to the episodes that these fine gentlemen are on. So podsodcast.com. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've said it before, like the podcasting, it's hard to keep doing. Like you do get into a little bit of burnout. You have to either share the work or get away from it for a while or and sometimes what will happen is podcasters put themselves in a place where it's like it's 15 hours to edit the episode or they're doing three or four different types of podcasts and they can't keep up. And yeah. it's it's a lot of work. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. On the six packs, there was a run. I did 22 or 23 consecutive days. I recorded, edited, released a day, an episode per day for like three plus weeks. And that certainly contributed to me burning <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah, we ain't yeah. doing that here. That's for damn sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but we also, I did also have Gary Sharon on, and I did talk to him. I think a little bit about Van Halen 3, so you can go listen to that there as well, podsodcast.com. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's great information, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a great interview. Yeah, you've done some good interviews. You've had uh, some interviews with Sticks that I really enjoyed. And, Thank you. And uh, Dan Reed, which I really enjoyed. And, yeah, you've done some amazing things. I did a really fun Dan Reed, you know, I grew up listening to Dan Reed network and I grew up listening to Saiketo. And I remember like, I, you know, I'm blessed to call Dan Reed, a friend of mine. Right. So I did booking and been on the road with him and so forth. Right. And I remember talking to him about Danny Vaughn and Saiketo and he didn't know who, who they were. Right. But then eventually completely separate and apart from me, you know, Danny Vaughn and Dan Reed connected somehow uh, Sweden rock or something like this. Right. And they became friends and, you know, then, you know, I remember I was like, Dan, you're friends with Danny Vaughn now, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's great. We're going to, and they started doing shows together, right? Then they recorded a record together. Fucking yeah. Dan Reed and Danny Vaughn recorded a record together. It was <laughs> crazy, right? The reason I say that is I did a podcast where I had Dan Reed pick the 10 essential Danny Vaughn songs, and Danny Vaughn picked the 10 essential Dan Reed songs. And it was this really cool, like, sort of pairing of episodes. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Psycheto or Dan Reed Network, yeah. that's, you know, I'm real proud. And I did a lot of episodes like that. Pixie Essential episodes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm so happy you made it onto the show. We'll have to have you back for something else at some point. We got all kinds of things that we throw out there and do. So love it. Anytime you guys want to talk about living color, I'm all in. Either that or um when we do a complete dissertation on how many say I, we'll have you back on that. I'm all in. I'm writing my thesis on it. <laughs> that's it number 11 in the books number 12 is up next to end the year uh with a different kind of truth and then we will rank all the van halen records from start to finish on how we feel about it Sonny, do you have anything to add before we get up on out of here no eric good to see you thanks for joining us and uh yeah thanks for listening to all the van halen episodes uh well the listeners out there have been great we've been getting a ton of feedback Yep. We'll talk to you guys next week. See ya later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 